interaction with your children. And I watch every Sunday, I've been watching for the last several weeks, all the parents with, and grandparents tending children. And, and honestly, I'm sincere. I appreciate it. I forgot how difficult it is. Though, you know, my children never misbehave. <laughs> but really, I'm sincere. I appreciate what parents and grandparents go through in tending children because it can be a tiny bit disturbing to you and maybe others, but it needs to be said. That's the first homily. It's just appreciation. It's just thank you. And it's worth coming. It's worth having your children here. It's worth the disturbance. We sat through the disturbance for many years, and I do it all over again. Bring the children, and if it's causing the disturbance, fine. Second homily. Second homily is the cross. What a remarkable day. Really, what a remarkable day. I want to say two things about the cross today. One, I want to talk about the power of the cross. And secondly, I want to talk about the purpose of the cross. There's a whole lot more that could be said. As a matter of fact, I, I wake up now very often in the middle of the night. And I'll spend a fair amount of time awake. And this morning I woke up and I needed something to do. And because I know it's going to be about an hour, an hour and a half before I'm going to go back to sleep. So I picked up the hymns from Vespers last night. And being a very crafty priest, I know where to download the special feast off the Archdiocese website. And so in the middle of the night, I downloaded the prayers for Matins, or the hymns for Matins. If I taught for five years, I couldn't say as much as I read in the middle of the night in the prayer in the hymns for Vespers and Matins. And when you leave today, there's still maybe a few copies out there. Take them. Some of you can't come to, to Vespers. Some of you can't come to Matins. Some of you ought to probably, but it's okay. But it's worth getting the hymns. It's the best teaching you're ever going to find. I've never heard anybody teach about the cross the way I read about the cross in the hymnody from last night and this morning. To say nothing of how much I love what Valerie does with that one particular hymn to the cross. With the, I think in San Diego you did it with a trio the first time, if I remember. And uh, once I heard it, I didn't even want to do a homily. I think I asked you to have it done for the homily. Because it's so powerful. The hymns are so rich. And some of you say, I don't know a whole lot about my faith. Read the hymns. This is a sideline. And, and this is important for your children as well as for you. Uh, I'm going to embarrass my granddaughter Jenny a little bit. Because I love to sit by Jenny. I love to sit by her in church. And I've learned something about Jenny. You know, she's kind of shy. Uh, but it's just fun to sit there. And once in a while, and, and more and more, she sings. And I've discovered that Jenny knows almost all the stuff by heart. She's got a really nice voice. But she knows it all. She's memorized it. How did she get it memorized? Well, that's easy. He hears it over and over and over again. So it 
so valuable to hear these things. And you say, well, she doesn't understand what's being said. Who cares? Who cares? She'll get it. I imagine at one time when I first met Mary Ellen, she could sing at least 500 choruses and hymns by heart. And I knew of probably almost as many. After all, you read the Presbyterian hymnal day after day after day when you have to have something to do besides filling the E's and the O's and the P's and so on in the volume. But I am so grateful for all that because you get that teaching down in you. And it's teaching, it's approved. It's not just the opinion of the guy up there speaking. If it's in that hymnody, you can trust it for sure. So, the power of the cross. Now look, think a minute. Just think for a minute. If you take away the crucifixion of Christ, now think. If you take away the crucifixion of Christ from history, how different would history be? Staggeringly different. Probably, at least in my opinion, no other single event has influenced history as has the crucifixion of Christ. There is power in it. Will you say, Father John, sometimes I don't feel power. You know, that's a problem. And we all experience that. But when you look at what has happened over these centuries and centuries since the crucifixion of Christ, it has molded the history of the entire Western world. But now, and now, as we get into a globalization, it influences everyone. You say, well, Father John, some of the influence hasn't been that great. It's not the cross's fault. It isn't the cross's fault that the people have done silly things that aren't that noble about it. By the way, don't let people fool you too much on the crusade. I shouldn't say this probably, but, you know, the crusades get a bad rap. They're not as bad as you think they are, folks. And some of us ought to be on our knees praising God and thanking Him that we can honor the cross today instead of an Islamic symbol. Because if you really understand what contemporary historians are now saying about the crusades, oh, it wasn't about Jerusalem. It was about saving the entire West. Oh, I think there's power in that, don't you? <laughs> there's power. There's power in the crucifixion. And there's power in the resurrection. There's great power. This isn't just this, this cross. It isn't, it's not just a religious symbol. There's incredible, staggering power. I'll tell you, you may not see the power of the cross as you would like in your life. But let me tell you what happened. Oh, I love it. Do you know what happened when Jesus was crucified and descended into Hades? Do you have any idea what happened? 
to quote one of the greatest Protestant preachers ever, he harrowed hell. He utterly destroyed it. He destroyed the devil's power. He won the victory. You can't leave the resurrection out, but the resurrection isn't even, doesn't even happen without the cross. In the cross, there is incredible power. And don't you think it's over? Don't you think for a minute that the power of the cross is done? Because before the end finally comes, and the ages of ages are in full gear, the cross will utterly triumph, and there will be no more enemy of Christ. God will have no more enemies. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those, those here who hate him, flee from his face. The victory of the cross will be ultimate. The triumph will be beyond comprehension. Lastly, the third homily sort of goes with the first. Or the second. Or both. Do you know when the cross in the councils of the all Trinity? Do you know when the cross was planted? Now listen to the question again. In the councils of the Holy Trinity, do you know when the cross was planted? Before the creation of the world. Before there was one star. Before there was one planet before there was anything we could call time, in the Council of the Holy Trinity, the cross was always planned. Every time I, I get to this, I have to work with adverbs. But adverbs don't work when you get work with eternity. Before and after and time, these words don't work, but we have to use them. Before there was anything, the cross was planned. It was planned that the eternal Son of the Father, God, the Son, would assume human flesh. It was planned that he would die on the cross. Incredible. When we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. When we read that, when... When, there's another one of those difficult words. When was the gift, now that's my key word right now. When was the gift planned and why? The gift was planned before there was anything. Before there was a human cell. Before there was an animal cell. The gift was planned because God is a giver. And why did he plan the purpose? So that you could be like him. That was the ultimate eternal purpose. The cross was planned so that you could be 
their homily, that's a little convenient. Listen, folks. This is stewardship, not God's a giver. God's a giver. His only begotten Son. That's not all He gives. He gave you life. This liturgy started with, oh, heavenly King, comforter, comforter, the giver of life. God's a giver. Purpose of the cross so that you could be like Him. God's a giver. Listen to me. You need children. You listen to me too. And grandparents, you listen. You need to be a giver. Father Nicholas asked what I was going to speak on today. And I said, I'm going to use the text. Give and it shall from Jesus. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men pour into your bosom. That's pretty good. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's sort of super superlative, isn't it? You say, Father John, how can that be? I do not have a good reputation for investing. I've made some really stupid attempts at investing. I'm going to be 83 in a few weeks. That promise has proven to be true. You say, have you experienced good measure, pressed down, shaken together, show men pour into your bosom? Folks, if you added up our medical bills for the last five years, you would say, Father John, if they're paid, it's good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and thank you because you were helpless through your arm. You say, well, Father John, does that count? Jesus didn't say where it was going to come from. He said it would come. I admit it was hard to write tithe checks at one point in my life. But it got to the place where I could care less about writing a tithe check. That's just what you did. You paid the electric company, you paid the gas company, you paid Uncle Sam, you paid your bills, and you prayed God, pay God. Folks, you need to give. You can't afford not to give. I don't want to go to church and hear about money. You need to hear about money because most of you don't think you have enough. Well, I'm showing you how you can have more. How you can <coughs> have good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and run over. If Jesus said it, is it true? You know, sometimes you think, Father John, we can't afford to give. We're just barely making it now. Do you know why we're just barely making it now? Because you bought too much. Buy a little less and give more. It's so easy to want to live beyond what we need. The scriptures never say, my God shall supply all your wants. 
But the scriptures do say, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I could actually solve all your financial problems in just a couple of minutes here. giving. When? When should somebody start giving when you have any idea of the value of a coin? That's when you should start giving. And when, you, when should you quit giving? Probably when you breathe your last breath. And by the way, some of you ought to give after that. It ought to be in your will. You're going to give everything to your kids? The bombs will just use it. <laughs> you say, well, where should I give? I don't care. The point of this homily is not necessarily to give it to the church. You need to give. I'm, <coughs> I'm all into water. I'm serious. Because so many children don't have water to drink. I'm into water. And I'm entered in, into, a, into a couple of ministries. Some of you remember Lance Solander. He was with us in Isla Vista many years ago. That's one thing Lance is doing right now. He's, he's the, the head of a ministry that provides water. They dig wells in various parts of the earth. Give water to drink and irrigate. Somebody's got to give. We need to be givers. And we need to be cheerful givers. It's so important. But also, do not mistake. You need to give to the church. You need to return to God. You need to... It's part of the blessing you'll receive. Bishop Benjamin, the OCA bishop, our friend from, child, from Dan's childhood, he stood right here. And here's what he said. Whatever you build, I'm quoting him now, it needs to be beautiful. You say, Father John, that's a waste of money. You mean you waste money on God? Jesus said, the poor you have always with you. Did Jesus give to the poor? Oh yeah, he did, didn't he? Because we know that from what Judas did. Jesus gave to the poor. The poor you have always with you. Folks, this building needs to be finished. And it's not going to be finished unless we give. What do you want, some sugar to mama, a sugar daddy? know who the sugar mamas and the sugar daddies are? I'm a looking at them. I'm a looking at them. You say, Father John, I can only give $10. Okay, if that's all you can give. According to the Lord, that's as much as somebody can give a million. Because the widow with the might gave more than all the others, right? It needs to be beautiful. It needs to be finished. And it needs to be made. Giving is not some idle part 
Christian's life. It's just part of the substance of who you are and what you do. Sometimes you get a little older and you say, Oh, Father John, I've given so much, I think it's about time I spend some of it on myself. Well, what else did the devil tell you? It probably wasn't very good. That's really bad advice. Do you ever hear that niggling down inside you? Ah. Give, and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men pour into your bosom. Is it okay to do it for a reward? Give. 